0: Hello. My name is Marielle Harris, and I'm one of the producers for 49. Just a quick note that this episode was recorded in September 2021 before Judd DeVermont departed the Center for Strategic and International Studies. Here's the episode.
1: Welcome to 49. My name is Judd Devermont. I'm the director of the AFRICA program at the Center for Strategic International Studies. I was a national intelligence officer for Africa and worked at the National Security Council.
0: And I'm Nicole Willett. I'm chief of staff at the Open Society Foundations and like Judd, I served at the National Security Council. I also served at the U.S. State Department and at the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, all with a focus on Africa.
1: This podcast has everything you need to know about U.S. policy towards sub-Saharan Africa, what happened in the past, what should the Biden administration do? Plus, we promise to deliver the goods in 15 minutes or less, one country at a time.
0: This episode is about Sao Tomei and Principe and we are joined by Cynthia Acute, former Sao Tome and Principe ambassador and U.S. ambassador to Gabon. She is also deputy assistant secretary for Central Africa.
1: Nicole, can you walk us through U.S. policy towards Sao Tome and Principe?
0: Sure thing. So the United States has never had an embassy in the microstate of Sao Tome. It is the only one of Sub-Saharan Africa's 49 countries with such a distinction. The country's first president, Manuel Pinto da Costa, aligned with the communist bloc countries and was a strong supporter of Angola's ruling party during the Civil War. Some 2,000 Angolan troops and 120 Soviets were garrisoned in Sao Tome, as well as 50 to 100 Cuban military advisors. Nonetheless, one former desk officer said nobody in Washington, quote, heard of or cared about Sao Tome, which was these two little dots in the middle of the ocean, end quote. By the late 1980s, Sao Tome's leadership tried to diversify its relations away from heavy dependence on the Soviet bloc. In fact, Pinto da Costa admitted to US diplomats that his foreign policy lacked balance. The economy was in shambles and there was an unsuccessful invasion by a group of exiles in 1988. In 1990, Sao Tome opened up its political system, legalizing opposition parties and holding free elections in 1991. Opposition leader and former prime minister Miguel Travada won the presidential election. Power, which is shared by the presidency and an executive prime minister, has subsequently shifted between the country's three political parties. Pinto da Costa retained power from 2011 to 15 as an independent. So since the transition to multi-party democracy, the United States has been interested in the country's nascent oil sector and maritime cooperation, including implementing programs to improve the professionalism and capacity of the country's small military and Coast Guard. Sao Tome is home to the Voice of America transmitter that was relocated to the island nation following the conflict in Liberia. The U.S. State Department recently decided that the next U.S. ambassador to Angola, instead of the U.S. ambassador to Gabon, would be the non resident ambassador to Sao Tome and Principe. So, Judd, lots of really interesting history there and a uh, recent change. So, do you want to talk about major U.S. success or policy failures in Sao Tome and Principe?
1: One of the things that's been, I think, remarkable about Sao Tome, because it is a small island, because it's in the middle of the Gulf of Guinea, which has some of, which is the global hotspot for piracy, is how forward leaning it's been on on anti piracy and maritime security. I remember uh, when Africom was still part of UCOM and they were really sort of getting serious about the threats in the Gulf of Guinea. Sao Tomei was one of the first countries to raise their hand and to accept an automatic identification system, or AIS. It's an automatic tracking system, which allows Sao Tomei and partners to see all of the ships around them as long as they are actually blinking, uh, having their system on. And you know when there are ships that do not have it on, that they may be involved in a this activity. And I saw the embassy, you know, have one person from AFRICOM or at that point, UCOM, come and work with the Sao Tome Navy and Coast Guard. It just was a great example. Ambassador, I'm sure you agree that just a small amount of effort can really pay huge dividends in, in Sao Tome. So that for me was a big success. But Ambassador, what do you think the strategy for the Biden administration should be towards Sao Tome and Principe?
2: Chad, I so agree with you in terms of your comment about Sal Tome's willingness to, to take the initiative, to, t- to take the leap. I used to call it the little country that could. I was incredibly impressed with São Tome. And I noticed that Freedom House just gave it a, a rating of 84, which is one of the highest that you'll see in a lot of African countries. So a small nation, but it has really committed ministers. I was impressed with every single minister with whom I met. I think the Biden administration should certainly do more, particularly on the issues of climate change. As a vulnerable island state, Tome certainly has been suffering from rising sea levels. I, I saw it in person where villages had to move inland because of the encroaching sea. And the people in Tome rely heavily on the fishing industry. And so it's also very much in their interest to partner with us to look out for illegal fishing. So to continue with that, I would also like the US to acknowledge uh, a lot of Sal Tome's contributions by continuing an MCC program. This was something that I you know, worked with MCC, talked to MCC, but we were not able to get a compact with the country, even though it successfully uh, completed its threshold program. But, but again, Sal Tome is seen as too small. But I think the benefits would be enormous if we could get MCC to, to look at Sal Tome again, particularly looking at it in terms of climate change issues.
1: OK, Nicole, how do we make that happen?
2: Thanks for all those great ideas,
0: Ambassador. When it comes to pulling this together, particularly for a small country that not that many people know about, it's important to find ways to put it on the interagency map where enough different stakeholders begin to understand that Sao Tome has some strategic importance behind it. And that allows for greater consideration, I think, for the various programs for which there are limited resources, but where the USG has potential to engage, like the MCC. So in this case, I think we are talking about how to plug into the maritime security process. I mean, certainly when I was at the NSC, that was an active conversation globally. Um, And, you know, as we know, the Gulf of Guinea is so critical to that conversation when it comes to trafficking, smuggling, piracy, all of these really serious threats. And that's something that the interagency grapple with. And it affects far more than Sao Tome, but it certainly affects them as well. And you need every single alliance you can get when it comes to fighting something that large. Similarly, we know that climate is a huge priority for this administration and very senior level people are are sort of charged with raising climate no matter where they go. And similarly, Sao Tomei has firsthand experience about this. And you know, at some point we are gonna really begin to lose countries. I mean we, we sort of already are, to the cost of climate change. And then they become hugely discussed, right, as as they come closer to the brink. I'm not saying that we should in any we should prevent that, right? But when you think about a country like the Maldives, where I wouldn't say that all that many people knew very much about the Maldives, as the president came in and began to really trumpet how challenging climate change was for them and and the loss to the ecosystem, the loss to global biodiversity that would result because of that, it did become much more headline news. So I think with Tome, it's really about Reminding the interagency that it exists. Unfortunately, the quote from earlier in the history about Sao Tome, you know, not mattering and no one knowing where it was, super offensive. But it's hard to say that our policy perspective has gotten a whole lot further. I think our value system has, but not our focus on engaging. So, you know, every single country in the world, I think, deserves engagement. And in this case, there really is more to the story than I think your average diplomat, certainly your your average American, understand. And finally, same thing on democracy, right? You need every ally you can get. It's incredibly important to show that engagement with other democracies is important and preservable. So again, I think investment there, even if it's teeny tiny, can be important and it can certainly be So when it comes to democracy, I think we also want to realize that every single country, every single voice matters. And that's true of Sao Tomei. We, to our peril, ignore that anywhere, but also anywhere that has resources, right? These are really important conversations. We never know where history will take us. So a little bit is going to go a long way in small countries. And I think you know, bang for the buck, those are really smart investments. So that brings us back to the MCC, which is you know, obviously broader than democracy, but, but a really important tool. Absolutely. I mean, if they have met their thresholds, I really do hope that that's something that as we get new leadership at the MCC um, is something that they can take forward going to be really important. Okay, Ambassador, there's a lot to choose from here, but do you have one big idea to put on the table as someone who really knows the ins and outs of this country? We would love some out-of-the-box thinking, and I think this country in particular is right for it.
2: My out-of-the-box thinking for Sal Tomei is to put an embassy there, even if we don't have an embassy, to have a full-time American presence. Sal Tomei certainly appreciates uh, Americans, respect uh, Americans. I was able to travel all over this tiny country frequently and wherever I went. I mean, people were very appreciative of the fact that I was there, that I was there to listen to them, that I was there to let them know that the United States certainly, even though we didn't have an embassy, certainly cares about Saltoni. So I would disagree with the, the desk officer, hopefully several years ago, who said there was nobody in Washington who cared about Tome. I mean, the very fact that the MCC had a threshold program, a successful threshold program, shows that there are a lot in Washington that do,
1: do care about Saltoni. Maybe, Ambassador, we can riff just a second, because one of the things that I'd like to kind of convey to our audience is that Yes, it's a very small country, but it's a uh, Lusophone. It's a Portuguese speaking country. And, you know, they are, they may be the next head of the Portuguese um, language community, the CLPL. So they're looking to do that. And the other thing that is interesting is that when there is a problem in, in a Lusophone country globally, they look to Sao Tome sometimes as being the keener interlocutor. I think uh, Miguel Travado uh, was uh, uh, at one point an envoy to. Uh, It's East Timor. So you can also think about this country in its African context, but then in the wider sort of Portuguese speaking world. And that's a sort of a a secret, uh, a secret strength of that small country.
2: The minister of finance had a key role in the Lusophone community. And I think it is important, in fact, that Angola, the ambassador from Angola, represent or be accredited to South on it because of the, the language. I will tell you that one of the things that I did as ambassador was, in fact, bring Portuguese language training into the embassy so that we could be more effective when, when we traveled
1: there. Okay, Ambassador, Sao Tome has some of the most exquisite chocolate in the world. Uh, in fact, it was once called the Chocolate Islands. When I visited in two thousand and seven, one of the most you know like fun treats I had was going to actually a chocolate tasting, like a wine tasting, but with chocolate. And so, can you talk a little about the country's chocolate excellence?
2: It is superb, and I think it's going to regain its moniker of the Chocolate Islands because of new investments in the country. I don't know if you're aware, but the UN's uh, International Fund for Agricultural Development is working with smallholder farmers in Sal Tome to in fact, develop a niche market of organic cocoa. Sal Tome certainly recognizes that it can't compete with the large cocoa producers. So it's certainly looking at a niche market with value added cocoa. As you said, the chocolate out of Sao Tome is absolutely exquisite. You can find it in Whole Foods here in the United States. Certainly at Christmas time, you, you can find it if you can't find it all year round. So I would certainly recommend people try it. It's, it's almost like a wine because the, the chocolate has different flavors, fruit flavors, again, because of the rich volcanic soil in, in Sao Tome. So it's something that should actually be savored and cherished.
1: Well, that's the show. Please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and check out our analysis at csis.org backslash Africa. Thanks.